0: The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Whole Health Cure, a podcast exploring the science behind true health and living a physically, emotionally, and spiritually fulfilled life. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Burquist. Today, we're talking about a topic that we don't often think about. The environmental impact and sustainability of our food supply. I'm joined by Bruce Friedrich. Um, Bruce is the executive director of the Good Food Institute, a nonprofit organization that promotes innovative alternatives to industrially produced animal products. Bruce has penned opinion pieces for USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, and many other publications. He's a popular speaker on college campuses and has presented repeatedly at most of the nation's top universities, including Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, and MIT. Bruce has co-authored two books, contributed chapters to six books, and authored seven law review articles. He graduated magna cum laude from Georgetown Law School and Phi Beta Kappa from Grinnell College. He also holds degrees from Johns Hopkins and the London School of Economics. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us.
0: It's absolutely my pleasure, Sharon. Thank you for inviting me to be on.
1: Yeah, so we talk a lot on this podcast about about food and health, um, and that tends to be a lot of our focus. And, you know, we eat for many reasons. Some of them are pleasure, some are taste. We don't often think about the environmental impact, namely climate change or the sustainability, really the, the looming crisis of needing to feed our ever-growing population, um, and certainly not about the efficiency of our agricultural practices. For our listeners, can you give a little bit of background about the key issues that we should be thinking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I oftentimes like to frame this in terms of something that most people are aware aware of, an issue most people are aware of, and that's food waste. So, about 40% of all of the food that's produced in the United States is thrown away. It's wasted. And when you have a conversation with about, with, about this with people, uh, most folks will recognize this as a problem. They'll recognize it as a moral issue. When tens of millions of people die every single year from starvation-related causes and somewhere on the order of 850 million people are living in nutritional deficit, which is to say they're not taking in enough calories to just basically be fully life-sustaining. It's a a moral issue that we throw away 40% of all of the food that we produce. But there's an inherent aspect to animal agriculture in particular that is even more efficient than that. Uh, And that is that according to the World Resources Institute, the most efficient animal at turning crops into meat uh, is the chicken and yet it takes nine calories fed to a chicken in the form of soy or wheat or oats or whatever it is that we're turning into animal feed. It takes nine calories into a chicken to get one calorie back out. A little more than half of that goes into non-edible parts of the chicken, and then the rest goes into just the chicken leading her or his life, just the chicken living to 45 days and burning off a significant percentage, most of the calories that are fed to it Uh, So every time we're choosing to eat animal products, every time we're choosing to eat meat, we're entering into a relationship which is as if we took, you know, eight plates of food, eight plates of soy or wheat or oats or whatever are fed to the chicken, we threw those away, and then we ate just the one plate of food. It's a massively inefficient process. And as the global population grows, and as especially in developing economies, they're eating more and more meat just a really bad way to try to feed somewhere on the order of 9.7 billion people by 2050. And of course, it's not just the calories in, calories out. I mean, if you need nine times as much feed to eat a calorie from a chicken as to eat a calorie from a legume, it's nine times times as much land, nine times as much water, nine times as much gasoline for the combines, it's nine times as much pesticide and herbicide. It's just a whole lot of inefficiency and a whole lot of pollution in order to get us, you know, chicken. And it's even worse for pork and beef.
1: And as you just mentioned, the chicken is the most efficient. Um, and it, so what you're saying applies to chicken, of course, meat, like red meat it applies to fish, all dairy. Is, is that correct?
0: Yes, uh, dairy is less efficient than chicken. Uh, aquaculture fish is less efficient than chicken. Pork and beef is a lot less efficient than chicken. Um, but I mean, just think about it intuitively, uh, for dairy, for eggs. So you have a chicken lays one egg every 34 hours. Um, I can't remember what the dairy output is, but again, if you're feeding animals, the vast majority of the calories that you feed to the animal, the animal will expend simply leading their life. Just like, you know, you Sharon and I are probably taking in somewhere on the order of 1300 to 2400 calories a day depending on our size we're not gaining weight ideally because that's how many calories it takes to sustain us you know as animals on the planet the same sort of thing is true for chickens and pigs and aquaculture fish the vast majority of what you feed to them just allows them to be alive and then a small percentage of it allows them to grow additional meat that after slaughter you know human beings can eat so really it's not a great way uh, for us to get calories. It's a horribly inefficient way for us to get calories
1: right, And as you mentioned there with their sustainability um, having to feed 9.7 billion people by 2050 is is Looming and we need to have a lot of forethought into how we're going to as, as a planet survive Food agriculture animal based is inefficient and you said compared to a legume plant-based foods are obviously more efficient. Um, in terms of plant-based food, you know, your your institute, the Good Food Institute, you do a lot of work around alternatives to these industrial produced animal products. Can you talk about some of the work that you do?
0: Sure. So, I mean, the, the central brainstorm of the Good Food Institute uh, is that most people, so, you know, you and I can have this conversation about the myriad harms of industrial animal agriculture most people are at least to some degree aware of those harms and yet our lives being what they are most people simply aren't going to incorporate these concerns into their dietary choices for whatever reason you know a lot of people are just you know we have a sort of the cacophony of inputs that represent our lives just makes it hard for people to really um defy our own physiology and to think about things other than what our bodies are biologically programmed to think about, which is, you know, how does it taste? Um, Can I afford it? How convenient is it? How hard is it for me to get? That sort of thing. And in survey after survey after survey, uh, what we find is that price, taste, and convenience are three things that literally 100% of people think about. It's it's part of the decision-making process on food for literally everybody, um, and it's just about all there is for a lot of people. Health figures in to some degree, but you know, most of us are eating ice cream. Most of us occasionally eat chocolate. Most people drink some amount of alcohol. Like Those are things that we're consuming, not because they are good for us, but because we like the taste or we like the effect or there's some cultural reason or something like that. The, the central brainstorm of the Good Food Institute is let's create products that people want to buy because they provide what consumers want, what 100% of consumers want. So let's actually make meat from plants as one example. So meat is made of amino acids, lipids, minerals, and water. Everything that can be produced in meat, we can produce from plants. But because we're eating plants directly, it will end up requiring much less land, much less energy, won't have the water pollution impact, won't have the antibiotic resistance impact. It's just Environmentally exponentially better. Um, and because it's so much more efi- efficient, as we scale up, it will be less expensive. So let's create competing products. And then one of the other things that we're looking at is the idea of growing meat directly from cells. So it's not um, as environmentally benign as plant based meat, but it's literally the exact same product. And because you're just growing the meat, you're not growing any of the non-edible parts, and you also don't have to keep an animal alive, it's still three times as efficient as chicken. So chicken is the most efficient meat. If you grow the cells directly, you it's not as efficient as plant-based meat, but it's three times as efficient as the most efficient animal-based meat. And that's whether you're growing fish or beef or pork or chicken or turkey uh, or whatever else. So those are, those are two technologies that we're focused on. And we have about 45 full-time staff at the moment. We have four programmatic areas, science and technology, innovation and entrepreneurship, policy and corporate engagement. And folks can get a look at kind of everything that we're doing at our website, which is just GFI for Good Food Institute, GFI.org.
1: And can you explain a little more the difference between plant-based meat And clean meat, um, as you said, the growing meat from cells, um, kind of why we need both and how they're different? Uh,
0: Yes. So I will tell you that when GFI started uh, about two and a half years ago, there was an assumption that plant-based meat, because it's more efficient and because with plants, we can biomimic meat, uh, but we can do better than biomimicry and because it requires so many fewer resources it will be markedly less expensive as it scales up we really thought plant-based meat was probably the solution but there are a lot of people like um, all over America there are a lot of people who just really want to eat real meat from animals Uh, clean meat is for them so clean meat so plant-based meat is let's figure out from the plant kingdom, how we create the lipid amino mineral water profile that biomimics meat perfectly so that meat eaters cannot tell the difference. And then when it's less expensive and it won't have any of the antibiotic residues, it won't have any of the pesticide or other chemical contamination, it will have complex carbohydrates, it won't have cholesterol, it will be a healthier product, and a lot of people will shift. But what we have found through consumer surveys and focus groups is that there is something hardwired in a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people, where they just want real animal meat. Well, we can create real animal meat, but doing it through standard tissue engineering techniques, um, so it still doesn't have the pesticides or herbicides or antibiotics, um, or if you're talking about fish, no mercury contamination. It's the exact same product, but it's a cleaner product, Um, and it is significantly less problematic for the environment. So it requires 99% less land, causes 95% less climate change, uses 90% less water, and it's the exact same product um, other than being a more pure form of the exact same product. And uh, it still has the cholesterol, it still has the saturated fat, it's not you know, it's not a silver bullet, but it's significantly better than the meat that people are eating right now.
1: And so I'm, I'm, I am I'm, think that's amazing that we have the technology to do this. How close to meat does it taste?
0: Well, it is meat. So it tastes exactly the same as meat, um, clean meat. I mean, it is, it is meat. So it's just uh, right now we create meat by feeding animals and then the animals' cells multiply and grow. Um, here, we just feed the cells directly rather than the inefficiency of of feeding the animal. So um, it's the exact same product, so it tastes absolutely identical. Um, so far, the plant-based meat products um, are getting pretty good. So uh, Bill Gates tried a plant-based chicken made by Beyond Meat, and he said he couldn't tell the difference. He was totally fooled. Um, and he wrote a blog called The Future of Food in which he said, what I just tasted was not just a clever meat substitute what I just tasted is the future of food. And Mark Bittman, who is a cookbook author and former New York Times food columnist, he also said that he tried the Beyond Meat chicken um, and thought it was real chicken. He couldn't tell the difference. But um, in an actual taste test where you have the Beyond Meat chicken and you have actual chicken, I think most carnivores can probably tell the difference, even though they probably wouldn't notice it You know, if they thought they were getting a chicken salad that had real chicken in it and they got Beyond Meat chicken, they wouldn't say, this isn't real chicken. Um, Similarly, Beyond Meat has a burger, the Beyond Burger, um, that is basically the exact same analysis. And there's an exciting company in the Bay Area called Impossible Foods that has an impossible burger. um, And the impossible burger in taste tests where they don't say which one's real meat, which one's the impossible burger, but they say, which of these do you prefer? Um, And people think they're getting meat in both. They think both of them are real meat. Uh, The Impossible Burger is actually beating the beef burger among carnivores as their preferred burger.
1: And so if if the clean meat is real meat, the health effects are the same as eating cattle meat?
0: There's a a debate um, among the people who are producing it. And one side says this is for meat eaters. Um, We don't want to turn this into a health food. Because there are lots of surveys that see that the point at which people see that something is a health food, um, it's a little bit like the placebo effect. Something they t- you tell somebody something's a health food, and they just enjoy it less. Um, and um, <laughs> that, that
1: bodes pretty poorly for my profession.
0: <laughs> it's uh, it's shocking, right? I mean, there, there was a study at at Stanford University where they labeled green beans, um, and when they labeled the green beans just green beans, they sold about forty percent more. Then, either of the label they had heart heart healthy was one label, um, and then they had one label that was like low fat low carb um, and the low fat low carb and the heart healthy sold significantly less than just calling them green beans and when you called them something like spicy and delectable, they sold even more so I'm not sure what that says exactly, but the the debate um in the clean meat field is should we should we tweak these should we tweak meat? So that we get rid of some of the HCAs or we get rid of some of, uh, you know, if we know what aspect of the meat causes cancer, saturated fat or cholesterol or whatever, um, should we get rid of those things as we are um, growing this product if it's not going to adversely impact the taste? Um, And some people say yes, like two of the, you know, two of the pioneers of clean meat are both medical doctors. One of them is a cardiologist. Um, and he's super interested with Memphis meats and, and making meat that doesn't have the same health impact. Um, and then the other side of that is those people can eat, you know, if, if that's what people are concerned about, let them eat the plant-based meat because the plant-based meat is going to be so much healthier. Um, and with clean meat, it really should just be for people who would otherwise be eating industrial animal meat. Um, and if they're looking for a healthy product, you know, let them let them not eat it.
1: And do you, I'm sure you probably get asked this or I've heard this a lot, but when you grow meat in a lab, you know, it's not the same thing, but it kind of has the, the same probably concerns around genetically modified food. You know, when we are kind of tinkering with nature, you know, do you get pushback or concerns from consumer about that?
0: Not very often um, we get concerns from people in the sort of foodie community, the whole food, slow food community, um, and sort of two things to say about that for for people who are eating, for people who are already vegetarian, this product is not for you. Um, it's great that you're vegetarian, um, you know, but from the sort of perspective of people who are trying to reform the food system, we have won with you, and we don't care what you eat because uh, you're already you know, eating healthy food that is low environmental impact. This is for people who would otherwise be eating industrial animal meat, and it is a much better product. So that's sort of thing one. Thing two is, um, in a void, one can understand that argument. But when your two choices are either meat grown directly from cells, or meat grown in the way that meat is grown right now, which is horribly unnatural. Uh, You know, if you said, would you if you you know went out on the street and said would you eat chicken from animals who grow seven times as quickly as they are biologically programmed to grow pretty much everybody would say no and yet 98 percent of people eat chicken which means 98 percent of people are eating chicken from animals who grow six to seven times as quickly as they are biologically programmed to grow um, so once you have two products and one is produced and essentially a meat brewery. I mean, that's what it's going to look like. And one of them comes from what modern farms and slaughterhouses look like. It's going to be a pretty easy sell to convince people to go with the meat that is grown directly from cells, as opposed to the meat that's grown with all of the inefficiencies um, and unpleasantness that comes with meat as it's grown today.
1: And and to kind of delve a little bit more into meat as it's grown today, just to kind of create more of a apples to apples comparison, and, you know, in terms of this whole um, kind of creating things. You mentioned that we're making chickens grow six to seven times faster, and that's through uh, hormones or what are we doing in the whole an- animal agriculture that's doing
0: that? Uh, Most of it is just genetic breeding. Most of it is just they are breeding the animals to be incredibly top-heavy. They do give them growth-promoting antibiotics, but that's probably just a very small percentage of it. Um, So chickens are now slaughtered when they're about 40 days old. So you can basically, you know, just like human beings, if you put two tall human beings together, they're likely to have a tall child. Um, You can do the same thing with chickens, except that the chicken life cycle is so much shorter that you can get generation after generation after generation of, of chicken in a fairly short period of time. So over the last uh, 50 years, they have just been breeding and breeding and breeding chickens to be top-heavy. And some uh, poultry scientists at the University of Arkansas, they, they published a peer-reviewed article in which they said that if a human baby grew as quickly as a modern broiler chicken, that baby would weigh 650 pounds at the age of two months, two months old, 650 pounds, like all of these animals are just, you know, they can barely move and they are living pretty much their entire lives in misery. And um, so, I mean, for people who care about cruelty to animals, um, you know, plant-based meat, and, and if you absolutely positively have to eat real meat, uh, clean meat, those are options for those folks as well.
1: Yeah, and it makes you wonder about the health ramifications of breeding chicken or or any animal product that way, um, not just for the chicken, but if we're consuming the chicken, um, what impact it has on us?
0: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's probably not good, right? I mean, the Nicholas Kristoff, the New York Times columnist, wrote a wrote a piece a couple of years ago about some research at Johns Hopkins University that was pretty interesting. Um, the Hopkins researchers. Because these animals are kept in such bad conditions and because these animals have been bred to be you know basically sort of Franken chickens, uh, they are given massive amounts of antibiotics. those antibiotics do cause them to grow a little bit more quickly, but the real need for the antibiotics is to keep the animals alive um, in really bad conditions. and Hopkins did some research uh, and they found astronomically high levels of contamination in chicken and not only did they find things like you know, antibiotics and E. coli and campylobacter. They found the active ingredient in Benadryl. They found the active ingredient in Prozac. Um, Nicholas Kristof ended his column by saying, you know, investigating this whole issue made me wonder whether I don't need some Prozac-laced chicken nuggets to feel better about it all, which is a sort of darkly comic uh, end to his column.
1: Wow. And when, you know, we're also obviously... Um, Thinking about plant based meats, but why shouldn't we just eat whole food plant based products? You know, if you take soybean and turn it into tofu, you're already losing a lot of its nutritional benefit. Why not just eat the whole food?
0: Well, we should. I mean, we absolutely should. Um, This goes back to the sort of central brainstorm of GFI, which is that most people won't. So I adopted a completely plant based diet more than 30 years ago. And at that point, I think it was like about 2% of Americans were vegetarian or vegan. That number hasn't changed a lot 20 years ago, 10 years ago today, somewhere on the order of 2% of Americans are vegetarian or vegan. Um, And in 2017, there was a higher per capita meat consumption than any year in US history up to 2017. And just to be clear, per capita, the average American in 2017 ate more meat than the average american ate in any other year in us history and the number is going to be higher in 2018 so we have been and i have been educating people about all of the stuff you and i have been talking about we've been educating people about the harms of industrial animal agriculture for decades and most people are not shifting to a whole foods plant-based diet if that changes if like suddenly lots and lots of you know if everybody suddenly um, does shift to a whole foods plant based diet, that would be ideal um, in terms of all of the things that we're talking about. Uh, but, you know, the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Uh, the focus of GFI is okay, people want to eat meat. Let's produce that meat from plants. Let's produce that meat directly from cells. And it will at least lessen all of these harms. It will be less bad for people's health, it will be less bad for the environment. It will be a lot more sustainable. It will, it will remove the need for antibiotics. Like a lot of really big issues that we can solve by basically working with people's, you know, how people want to make their food decisions rather than trying to convince people that they should make their food decisions in a different way. Some people will, but apparently the vast majority of people won't because we've spent untold numbers of hours hundreds of millions of dollars trying to convince people to eat differently, um, and things are getting worse rather than better.
1: You know, and that kind of echoes from a health standpoint as well. You know, obviously behavior change and having people eat a healthy diet for health benefit um, is, you know, obviously challenging as well. But you mentioned that, you know, the three things that people take into account um, when they're making their food decisions are price, taste, and convenience. Um, You know, taste, you know, can be very individual, but price and convenience also are partly determined by government policy, by kind of um, the larger culture that we live in. There's some individual decisions that go into this, but what is the role that maybe we could have government or um, just kind of cultural institutions have on making these shifts?
0: So in our in GFI's policy department, one of the things that we are working very hard on um, is convincing members of Congress and then uh, the funding bodies that fund agricultural research and basic science that they should be putting money into plant-based meat and clean meat research and development to help basically seed these industries in a way that will be you know, very valuable for creating these competing products. And we haven't been at it at it for long, but we have met with significant support. And in fact, we got uh, language into the report that accompanied the Senate Ag Appropriations Bill, uh, calling for research into plant proteins. That then made its way into the National Institute for Food and Agriculture call for proposals, and uh, that has never happened before. Um, it did happen just, uh, I think, in the last month. Uh, the Senate Ag Approves Report was two months ago and then nefa actually incorporated that information that's one of the things that we're working on and we think we're going to have a lot more luck if we look at this in an affirmative way how do we get the governments to support the plant-based and the clean meat technologies rather than trying to take away government programs that prop up animal agriculture uh, again folks have been trying to to get rid of those programs for a really long time um, so far with no luck uh, but plant-based meat and clean meat. I mean, this is, let's use markets and let's use technology to solve these problems. And we're meeting with a lot of support from both sides of the aisle, whether it's the Freedom Caucus and you're talking about technology and markets, um, or it's the Progressive Talk Caucus and you're talking about the harms that are gonna be ameliorated uh, from both sides of the aisle and the center as well. Uh, there is a lot of support for, for these alternative technologies in a way that we're finding deeply encouraging.
1: Wow, that, that's fascinating. And um and the whole concept of clean meat, you know, where are we with developing that? You mentioned a couple companies have you know, created the you have the impossible burger. What's next on the horizon?
0: So the impossible burger is plant-based meat. Uh the beyond burger is plant-based meat. Uh so the plant-based products are are widely available. Uh clean meat is not available. There are, I think, 15 companies now two and a half years ago there were none now there are 15 companies and they have investments from Richard Branson and Bill Gates and some of the biggest venture capital funds uh, In silicon valley are excited about the idea of growing real meat directly from cells It'll probably be at least a couple of years before people um, Are finding clean meat in restaurants or in on grocery store shelves probably somewhere on the order of two to five years um, although, if you you know, if you want to go all the way to San Francisco or New York City, you'll probably be able to get uh, clean meat on the restaurant on the menus of a few very high end restaurants within the next year.
1: And do you mean when you say meat, is um, it red meat or clean chicken and clean fish as well? Uh,
0: I guess it's going to depend a little bit on the company. Um, but uh, Memphis Meats is working on pork, beef, chicken, and mutton. Um, I'm not sure if they're expecting to have prototypes in the next year. Uh, the company Just, uh, which used to be called Hampton Creek, has said that they will they will have sold clean meat by the end of this year. And I think they said chicken, um, although it's a little, uh, it's not, not perfectly clear. Um, there's a company called Mosa Meat in the Netherlands that I think uh, has said by the end of next year, they will have, have at least um, have a product for commercial sale in, in some manner. Um, and they're doing exclusively beef. So then there are a couple of different companies that are doing fish, but I don't think they've uh, sort of thrown down a time frame gauntlet yet.
1: Uh, wow. And for, for our listeners, is there, um, any advice you would have in terms of when they're trying to choose between their different options, um, kind of things that they should be thinking about any recommendations?
0: I mean, I think for, probably for your listeners, you probably have a fairly select group that is actually thinking about something beyond price, taste and convenience, but I'm guessing we all have friends and family. Um, I mean, every vegetarian I've ever met has friends and family who just like, they're not going to eat uh, tofu. They're not gonna eat beans and rice. It's not a meal unless there's meat involved. So for those folks, I would encourage people um, who maybe don't have an open mind for themselves, To keep an open mind for your friends and family and maybe accept that you won't get to perfection, but you might be able to get them to eat some Beyond Burgers, some Beyond Meat Chicken. Uh, Gardein has fantastic products, Tofurky, Field Roast, Light Life. Try some of these plant-based products um, and integrate those into the meals of people where you have been having less success with a whole foods plant-based diet Um, And recognize that it's still a big advance, like one, one meal where somebody chooses not to eat chicken or beef and chooses to instead eat plant based chicken or beef uh, is a little victory in terms of, uh, and that's how we get there. You know, every, uh, every journey begins with a single step, a food revolution begins and happens meal by meal.
1: That, that is great advice. And, um, and I did listen to your TEDx talk, which I thought was just fabulous on this topic. And, and for our listeners to learn more, again, um, the website to check out is the Good Food Institute.
0: Which and, is just um, gfi.org.
1: gfi.org. Perfect. Um, well, Bruce, thank you so much for your time. This has been just so interesting. It's um, amazing what's on the horizon and what our technology is allowing us to do.
0: Uh, Well, thank you very much, Sharon. I I love your podcast and I'm really honored to have been invited to appear on it. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you.
0: The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by the Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness Center at Emory. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.